This is a good turnout for August. But look around, this is great. I thought you were all on vacation or something. So this is good. So glad you came this morning. Thank you. And uh, we're starting off a brand new series called Fister Upper. Fister Upper. We want to build godly marriages. That's what we want to do. And of course, you know the term Fister Upper. It's a television show that just finished. They had their last season. You have Chip and Joanna Gaines. I think there's a picture of them up here. And uh, where are they? Are? There they are. Y'all know who they are. And um, wonderful couple, a Christian couple, you know, um, in fact. And they did five seasons of this show based out of Waco, Texas. Now, Waco, it, there's not much to Waco, you know. And I've been told, I got a lot of friends that have been to Waco just because of these guys. And they said, besides, you know, what they have going on, you know, and they have the silos and, uh, you know, the bakery. Besides that, there's not much else to, to Waco. I mean, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere in dry Texas. And, uh, but these guys, they find homes, you know, that are run down, you know, deserted. They get it for a real good price. All right? They got clients that they're working with, and they try to get, hey, buy this house. And I promise you, I see potential in this home. And Chip and Joanna, they see the potential. They, the couple that's buying it, you know, they're kind of nervous. You know, the person that's buying it, they're kind of nervous buying the house. You know, they think, oh man, this is a big risk. But Chip and Joanna said, just trust us. We see potential. We see potential. It's going to be awesome by the time we're all done. And sure enough, at the last part of the trip, part of the show, they do the big reveal, and the couple, they're just blown away. Or the person that finds the house, you know, a single guy or a single lady or a couple, whoever, they're just blown away by how the house had been fixed up and completely reversed what it was. They're just blown away. And of course, the value of the home where they purchased it, you know, tripled, maybe quadrupled just because of what was done to the house. And so we're starting a series called Fixed Upper. It's all about remodeling your marriage relationships or being prepared for your marriage relationship. And like any house, your marriage needs constant upkeep, repairs. It needs attention. Focus. And if you neglect your relationship, just like if you neglect the house, your relationship will naturally drift apart over time. You have to constantly do repairs. You have to constantly work, constantly remodel. Now, this may be the most important statement that I will make for this series. And it could be a game changer for some of you. All right, this is important. This is not even on your handout note. It should be. All right, but this is the most important statement that I can make here. Are you ready? All marriages start at fixture uppers. All marriages, they start 
That's Fitzgerald. Now, a lot of people have a wrong concept of marriage. You know, they think marriage is sort of like moving into a brand new house. Moving ready. The appliances are all there. The, the, the carpet is fresh. The paint is new. Everything is perfect. And after you live in a house for quite some time, you see, okay, we got to do some repairs, but we think going into a marriage, it's a perfect house. But the reality is, it's a picture up of day one. You, you thought you were going into a perfect marriage. You thought you were marrying the perfect man or marrying the perfect woman. But then you realize that the paint job was cheap. <laughs> You know, you, you noticed that the leak was really there all along. It was just a little duct tape. <laughs> and you realize, oh man, I move into a fixture-upper. And you have a choice. You can remodel. You can say, you know what, we're going to work on this marriage. We're going to work on it. Or... You can do what the world does. They put a divorce sale sign in the front yard. I said, I'm done. I thought I was moving into a perfect house. You had me fooled in our dating relationship, and then when we got married, I, I did not completely see all this. I said, I'm done. I said, what do they do? They go and find another house, another marriage. And all the while, they think, I found me the, the perfect marriage. I found me the perfect woman. I found me the perfect man. And at the same time, you've moved into another picture-upper. You, you married into another mess. And you thought, man, that house, that new house that you're now in, after a couple of months, you look back and say, man, I think I'm moving into the haunted mansion. This is, this is not good. And the reality is, all of us, we marry starting out as a fisteropper. And why is that? It's because marriages always involve two broken people. Two broken, messed up people. So every marriage is a bit trouble. Every marriage. When I was a single pastor, and I tell this a lot when I do weddings, when I was a single pastor in Florida, and I had a couple hundred singles. You know, we had a single night, Carrie and I, you know, we kind of ran that thing back in the 2000. And uh, we did that for, I don't know, about nine years. And we had a great time. We had all these guys, you know, they come to me and they say, Hey, Pastor Scott, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm here for, you know, for God, I'm here for the Bible, okay, alright, I'm also here, you know, because I'm looking for the perfect woman. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a low maintenance gal. When I look at him, I say, my man, I feel for you. 
But there's no such thing as a low-maintenance woman. There's no such thing as a low-maintenance man. There's no such thing as a low-maintenance marriage. Marriage is high-maintenance. It takes work. It takes hard work. Now, some of you, like, man, Scott, I have been in a marriage, or I had been in marriage, and it has been disastrous. Well, I'm in a marriage right now, and, and things are falling apart. And I even wonder, I even wonder, is it possible, is it possible to have a great marriage? I, I, I doubt it. But is it possible, Pastor Scott, is it possible to have a great marriage? And I would say to you this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the answer is yes. It is possible. So I'm going to be really honest. And I'm going to say that it's not likely to have a great marriage if you continue to do what everyone else in our society does. If you continue to do what the world is doing, then it's not likely that you have a great marriage. I mean, the statistics are horrifying. We all know this, that 50% of marriages ends in divorce. And a vast majority of those that are surviving, a vast majority are miserable. They're just kind of going through the motions. They're roughing it out for the sake of the kids. But it's hardly a marriage. On paper it is. But in their house, in their relationship, they're two separate lives living under one roof. So you have 50% failed in, the, in divorce and many more that are still with it, struggling. The tragedy is that the younger you are, the less likely your marriage is to make it. But so we have this odds. One out of two it is stacked against us. And if you continue to do what everyone else is doing, it will most likely fail. If you continue to do what the world teaches, it will most likely fail. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What other significant area of your life are you satisfied with 50% odds against you? I mean, for, let, me, let, me, let me break it down. If I told you, or if you knew that this certain brand of cereal that you eat, that over the course of time, you have a 50% chance of ending up with cancer if you eat this brand of cereal, what would you do? You would quit eating the cereal. You'd say, you know what, forget that cereal. I'm not playing with that odds. If you knew this week, that the, there's a 50% chance that the bank, the bank that holds your money, was going to belly up and go bankrupt. If he knew that, there was a 50% chance that you would have money by the end of the week or not, then I promise you that most of us, first thing in the morning, or maybe right after church, you go to the ATM machine 
And you get all your money out because you're not playing with that kind of odds. You know, if there was a 50% chance, and I told you that tomorrow you have a 50% chance that if you were to walk to your mailbox, you had a 50% chance of being mauled by a bear. Now, some of you might rethink a different strategy. You might go to the mailbox packing. All right? You might say, you know what, I'm going to skip the mailbox tomorrow. I don't want to be around and be mauled by chance by a bear. And so we have all of this, but here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy in our world. You can't get a driver's permit without taking a class. But you can get a marriage license for only $30 with no preparation. And you can just roll the dice and hope to God that we make it. Well, flip the coin. If it lands on head, we're good. If it lands on tail, oh no. 50% can't die, and we don't do anything about it. We think that we are exempt. You see, nobody, nobody when they get married, and I did a wedding last night. Man, they're in love. You know, they are so in love with each other. It's a beautiful wedding. And I am pretty sure that they're not thinking divorce down the road. Nobody does that. Nobody goes into marriage thinking, yeah, I'm going to blow this one up. I'm going to drop the ball on this one. I'm going to fail. No, no one does that. Everybody thinks, no, I will never get divorced. It won't happen to me. And yet, sadly, 50%, it fails. So this is what the series is all about. We want to help you. We want to fix up your marriage. We want to help you get stronger so that you can beat the odds. If, if I could tell you, if, if you, if you can know that you can beat the 50% odds, if you can know it, I, I, I think most of us say, yes, I want to know it. What if I told you that you can get higher than 50% odds of making it? What if I told you that you can be close to 99%? And you're going to be like, I want that. If I have 99% success rate, I'm all ears. And if you're married, I'm all ears. If you're single, because the stuff that we're talking about will play out later on in your life. But you got to start living it now. And I want to help you in this series. We want to help you get prepared or help you Live life in your physical upper marriage. How you can live by God's design. Who has great potential. Just like Chip and Joanna, they see potential. God sees potential in your marriage. So y'all ready for this? Yeah, let's jump into it. So today... I want to teach you the most important thing you could do to fail-proof your marriage. The most important thing you could do to fail-proof your marriage is just like a fixer-upper. One of the first things you do is you check the foundation of the house. You make sure it's strong, you make sure it's sturdy, and if it's weak, 
You do what you got to do to fix the foundation because nothing else really matters until you work and focus on the foundation. So the first thing we must do in our marriage preparation or in your marriage, here's the thing you must do. You must seek God. You must seek God. And so that's pretty simple, Scott. Let's get a little bit deeper. Oh, hold on. This is a very powerful truth. Now I'm about to drop some truth bombs here today. And I pray that you will hold on to these truths. Problem is a lot of people, before marriage, they're not really seeking God. They're seeking a spouse. Right? We're looking for the one. We're looking for the perfect someone. We're looking for that one person that's going to meet your needs. Because everyone knows that you can't really be happy until you find the one. So the guy goes out. He meets the lady. She's pretty. She says, oh man, she's good looking. She smells nice. She gives me the goosebump. Surely... She must be the one. Well, a guy meets a girl, a, a guy, a girl meets the guy, you know, and and he said, "Oh man, he's so cute, handsome. He's kind of cool, laid back, not dorky." My wife, by the way, she married a dork. All right, that's just, I'm just gonna put it out there. Just tell you, yeah, you know, there, there's no there's no lying on that. But uh, man, I don't know how she saw what she saw on me, but thank God. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I, never mind. I, 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 I just, I'm just praising Jesus that she looked past my fault and saw something. I don't know what she saw, but she saw something. But man, the, you know, the guy's like, man, he, you know, he's, or the, one, the girl's like, man, she's so sweet, he's so handsome, he, he loves to talk. He's such a gentleman. He must be. The one. The culture teaches us, our society teaches us, that to really be fulfilled in life, you have to find the one. Problem is, and here's the problem, another person is not the one in your life. And if you're taking notes, here we go. God is your one. And your spouse is your two. So important. One of the most important foundational principles about having any relationship that lasts. God, He is your number one. When Jesus was asked, you know, what's the most important commandment? He didn't say, love your spouse with all of your mind, all of your heart, and all your soul. Jesus said, what is the most important commandment? And He said this. He said, God is your one. Make him your one. Look at verse 37, Matthew 22, verse 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. God is your one. And your spouse is your two. Now, let me talk to two groups. 
the first group, those who are not married. You know, one day you want to be married, and one day I believe you will. I want to start with you. Here's the statement I want you to write down. I pray that this would be the driving force of your life in this stage of life. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. When we're not married, above anything else, you should want to honor God, to love God, to seek God, to please God, to know God, to live according to God's Spirit. We want all of our lives to bring glory and honor to God. We're not seeking a spouse. We are seeking first God and His kingdom. And then when you do that, notice in Matthew 6, 33, when you seek Him first, the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added unto you. He will give you everything you need. We're seeking the one while he's doing something in us and preparing for us for the two, for our future spouse. However, so many singles, not sinners, the singles, the believers, you kind of put the God thing off for a little bit. You say, you know what, I'm going to put them off until later when you think life matters more. Until you're senior, you kind of think, hey, you know what, I'll do the church deal thing later, I'll get involved in church later, but now, you know, this is my time. This is my time to sow some wild oats. You know, party hard, hit the clubs. You know, I might track up with some people. That's okay, meaningless relationship. It's not a big deal. But hey, when, when I find the one... Then I'll straighten up, and then I'll start going back to church. We'll start doing the God thing. We'll start doing the church thing. We'll start doing what God wants to do. But right now, I'm going to live this ungodly life now. And if that's your thought, hey, it's so incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. My great advice for singles, for those who are not married, if you hope, to have a godly marriage one day, then start living a godly life today. If you hope to have a godly marriage one day, then start living a godly life today. Seek God today. Don't do it later. Don't say, you know what, I'm going to look for the perfect one and make God my two, three, and four, and then one... When I get married, we'll, we'll put God first place. No, seek God as, his, as your one today. Now, when I went to college, I went to a Bible college in Florida. That's how I ended up in Florida. I grew up here and I went down to Florida. I went to a Bible college. And um, one of the things that I really love about this college is that the boys were outraged by the girls two to one. There were twice as many girls than there were boys. And I thought, man, I'm going to find me my preacher's wife here. That'd be great. I'll probably find her in the first year. I mean, I thought the odds were pretty good. Right? I'm looking for the one. I'm looking for the one. I go through the first year and I got nobody. You know, it's like, man, how, you know, I got people coming back, you know. You know, some of my other friends that went to the same school, they got, you know, you know, a, a, a woman or a, a man. And she said, God, how come you're striking out? What are you doing wrong? I said, I don't know. He said, come on, you got two girls for every guy in the college. 
So I, I, I go my second year, and I'm working, looking for the one. And I heard a message. And I heard a message in our chapel. And I thought it was a powerful truth. A little bit cheesy. So it was powerful. And there was something that just kind of stuck in my head. And that statement that says, sign your handout note. It said, don't look for the right one. I thought, man, I'm, I've been looking for the right one. It said, don't look for the right one. Be the right one. And the right one will find you. And I went through six years of college just living out. I'm going to do right. I'm going to be right. And I'm going to pray that the right one find me. And after six years of college, I struck out. But God had better plans. And after college, three years later, I'm 25 years old. I got people asking me, and say, God, you better hurry up, man. Come on. Time's fleeting. I'm like, hey, I'm not in a hurry. I'm going to live right. I'm going to do right. Because I know the right one will come around. And three years later, you know the story. The right one. He found me. But we were serving God. We were in church together. We were in the right place. We were where, we were where, where God wanted us to be. I didn't go looking in the wrong places. I was in the right place. I love what Andy's standing. He's a pastor in, in Atlanta, Georgia. He said this. Become, a, become the person you are looking for. Become the person you are looking for is looking for. Become the type of person that you like to marry. By the way, if you want to marry someone who's had 18 different sex partners, then do that. Go for it. Be like everybody else. If you want 50-50 odds against you, then live like everybody else. But if you want something that's different than everybody else, if you want something that's special and you want a holy marriage, a godly marriage down the road, then start seeking the one today. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will be the right one. And the right one will find me. Let's talk to the married folk for just a few minutes. Our commitment is a little bit different. I will always seek the one with my two. I will always seek the one with my two. And let me tell you why this is so important. Our marriages will never be what God wants them to be unless he is one and our spouse is two. But so often we get it messed up. We, we try to make our spouse the one. Oh, you're, you're so good to me. You make me happy. Oh, you're my everything. Oh, oh, we might have God in the one, and we might start off right. We might have the spouse as the two, but then the children come, and the kids become the two, and the spouse becomes number three. Or the career, your career becomes the two, and your spouse becomes number three or number four. No, the, the, the plan is this. The biblical design is God is one, and your spouse is number two. It doesn't work unless God is in the first place, and your spouse is number two. By the way, let me say this. When we try to make the spouse or our boyfriend or girlfriend, when we try to make them number one, 
what you end up doing is idolizing them. You idolize them. Oh, you're going to make me so happy. Oh, you complete me. You know, you, 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 I'm so good. I feel so good when I'm around you. Without you, I am nothing. And what we're doing is we're putting an undue pressure on a person who is incapable of meeting all your needs. And so first, we start to idolize them. Oh, you're my everything. And then when they start letting us down, which they will, because they're sinful, broken people, they're fit droppers. When they start letting you down, you go from idolizing to demonizing. Here's how it plays out. You know, we start, at one time you idolize your wife. Maybe when you were dating your future wife. Now, before you got married, you thought, man, she is so organized. Oh, she's so perfect. She's so passionate about this. She's so driven. I love the way she's so passionate about life. I loved it. And you idolize her. You say, man, she's number one. Oh, man, she's oh, awesome. And then you get married for a while. And what you want idolize, you start to demonize. You say, man, she's a control freak. She drives me crazy. She nags. She wants everything her way. You idolize, turn to demonize. Oh, lady, you know, you see, you idolize your future husband. You say, oh, I just love how he's so laid back, so cool. You know, he just comforts me. I just love it. It's so easy going. And after marriage, you demonize. He's a bump on a log. He's lazy. He's not laid back. He's a bum. What did I marry them to? You want to idolize. You're now demonized. Don't put your spouse in the number one slot. He or she will never complete you. Only God can. We are to seek the one. With the two. Now, let's get practical. It's okay, God. How do we seek God? And I can give you a list. I can give you a list of eight, nine things. You know, read the Bible, go to life groups, so go to church. And by the way, all those things are good. But what I want to do is give you one key thought. And I think that's one of those powerful thoughts that if you can download this one thought, then all these other stuff will come in play. I think everything else will fall in place. So I'm going to give you a, a thought, a keystone habit. And I, was, I saw on Facebook oh, about two months ago, I saw this video. And it, it's a video of an admiral in front of his graduate of SEALs, uh, Navy SEALs. How many of you seen this video? You know, he's up there. Okay, some of you have seen it. Uh, he's up there, and it's a great video. It's a great pep talk. Talking about, hey, you got a great life ahead of you. And, um, and, but he talked about a habit, a keystone habit. And I want you to see this short video about the keystone habit, and then we're going to make an application. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed, will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, 
you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, <laughs> that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. All right. Good stuff. But that's not the Keystone principle I want to give you today, all right? I, by the way, I made the bed this morning. All right, I'm good. I made the bed. Karen? All right, good. Woohoo! Um, but I had nothing to do with the message here about making the bed. That's not part of seeking God, okay? But here's the Keystone principle, because I feel like if you do this, then all the other stuff will fall in place. The little thing that matters, right? And here it is. If you're taking notes, seek God by regularly praying together. Seek God by praying together. Now, some of you ladies, you're really excited about this. You say, oh, I'm so giddy about this. You're, you're actually telling something that I want my husband to hear. I've been wanting it for a long time, but he never wants to do it. And some of your husband right now, you just broke out into a little bit of a cold sweat. And say, oh, man, pray? Pray for my wife? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say. I get so nervous. I get tongue-tied. And uh, I feel awkward. And, and so you have this. And I acknowledge all of this, all right? I want to talk about that in a minute. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Or I might loosely apply it and say, and I will heal their marriages. If they would seek to call, by, call me by my name, humble, humble themselves, pray, and seek God's faith. Let me give you some suggestions here because this is so important. First of all, to take a note, just start. Just start praying. Just start praying. It might be a temple around the dinner table. Maybe you haven't done that. And, and when, maybe at the dinner table, You've been praying, but very short, like, dear Lord, bless your food to our body, amen. I'm going to challenge you, maybe drag in an extra minute. Can I t- take a baby step? Maybe you're already doing the thing at, at the meal, you know, which is good. I'm going to challenge you to take it, maybe a long time with your wife and pray. By the way, you've got boyfriend and girlfriend. Pray. Just start. Just start. Just start. And I acknowledge that there's some complications to this point. I acknowledge that there may be some of you here who say, man, my, my spouse is not a believer. My spouse is not a believer. And so this is a kind of an awkward situation for me to pray. And, and, and you know your marriage is best. And I understand that. I acknowledge that. That perhaps you can invite your spouse at the dinner time and say, hey, you mind if I pray? You mind if I pray for our food and just ask and thank God? And, and you know, you're not asking your spouse to to say a prayer, maybe he could just sit there and listen. You know your situation better than I do. You say, man, that's, got, that's not even a go for me. I can't even do that. I'm just going to challenge you. By the way, if you can get that far and have your unsaved spouse praying with you at dinner, and you pray, don't preach in your prayers. I said, dear God, make my husband a believer, and I, God, I pray that he become a Christian. God, I pray that he would you know, start doing right and living right. Don't, don't do that. Okay, don't put off. 
in your prayer. Don't preach in your prayer. But simply pray. Let, let your spouse see the relationship that you have with God. You know, and if, and, and if he is not willing to hear a prayer publicly, and you sit there and say, honey, I'm going to pray silently to myself, if you don't mind, for just a minute. You know, you're not trying to embarrass him. You're not trying to embarrass her. But I know that it can get complicated. But for those who are believers, for those who are in Christ, I believe with all my heart that Satan does not want you to pray together. But if you will be faithful in this, just start. And you may have never done that. Talked to someone in the past week, the new believer. He, says, he came to me and said, Pastor Scott, i got a question about prayer. And he's like, when I pray, do I pray out loud or can I pray silently? I don't know. He's just learning. And I said, man, just start praying quietly to your heart. You don't have to pray out loud. And I just say this, no matter where you're at, just start praying. Start there. Number two, create a prayer list. Create a prayer list. You can get more organized in your prayer. Sometimes, guys, I'm, you know, you might be like, man, I, I, I'm afraid if I pray, I get in the middle of my prayer and I get stuck. And it's a little bit embarrassing. Uh, you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put up this image. But first of all, get rid of the image. Before holy God, just humble yourself. And just talk to God like you would talk to somebody else. But for help, have a list. Things that you're praying for. We're praying for the things for our children. God, we're praying for wisdom and the decision that we need to make. We're praying for the people in our life group. For people in our church. We're praying for a friend at work that had cancer. Keep a list. And take that list to your prayers. And use that during your prayer time. Praying for a boss that's not a follower of Jesus Christ. We're praying for a relative that's going through a hard time. And you keep a list to pray through those things. Use that in your prayer time. Here's another way. Here's another idea on praying together. Share your prayers by text or email. By text or email. You can simply text an email, an email of prayer to your spouse. And say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will give you peace today. Let them know that you're praying for him or that you're praying for her. And, and, and so pray. Just start praying. And I really believe it's a keystone habit when you start praying. And it will create an incredible amount of spiritual intimacy in your marriages. Watch this. You pray together. If you consistently pray, chances are, they're more likely to go to church together consistently. Chances are, they're more likely to be involved in church. Chances are, that you're more likely to attend life groups. Now when someone flips you off on the road, instead of going after them and saying, I'm going to kill that person, chase them down with the car, chances are you can be like, you know what, I'm living a, a prayer life. And I'm going to learn to forgive. I'm going to forget about it. Because you, develop, you, you have developed a positive spiritual momentum that help you in your marriage. This is a powerful keystone habit. Praying together. Just seeking God together. God is answering your prayers. 
and then build your faith. Think about this. It's really hard to get in a fight with someone that you've been praying with on a consistent basis. Oh, you're a jerk! I hate you! You're the Antichrist! No, no, no. When you've been praying, it's really hard to get into these type of arguments. It's hard to, it's hard to commit adultery or get hooked on porn when you've got spiritual, consistent intimacy with your spouse. It makes you want to know God. It makes you want to serve God, not be caught in those things that trap so many people. It's really hard to divorce someone when you have been seeking God together with that person. It's really hard to divorce when you're seeking the one with your two. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, you know, Scott, praying with my spouse, no big deal, I don't really have time. And I really don't have time to do this. You're asking for something that's too much. You know, maybe we could do it here and there, but, you know, make it a habit. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I'm going to say this. Fine, go ahead. Take your chances. Take the odds. 50% chance against your marriage. And if you make it, chances are you're just going to be miserable, most likely. You're just roughing it out because you have kids. You say, hey, we're in it because we have kids. Take those odds if you want them. Or... You can humble yourself and get crazy spiritual and walk hand in hand with your spouse, with your spouse. And say, God, help us. God, we need you. God, we need your hand in our marriage. We want to seek you daily. Let me give you a couple quick stats and we're done. This is so important. A couple quick statistics. And these are good news. If a couple attends church on a regular basis, one out of a hundred marriages ends in divorce. But let me take it a step further. Couples that attend church regularly and pray together regularly, one out of 1,150 I'm telling you, 99% chance that your marriage will be healthy and strong. But here's the sad news. After surveying thousands of Christian couples, after surveying thousands of Christian couples, they found that fewer than eight percent of couples pray together regularly. Eight percent. Fewer than eight percent. No wonder that fifty percent in divorce rate is also happening in the Christian world. Get only eight percent are praying together. So you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make in your fixed up a marriage. Do you take the 50% odds and do what the rest of the world is doing? Or do you take the 99 plus percent odds of your marriage making it and do what God gives you?
choice is yours. Your choice. You want to keep playing the odds? 50-50? Do what the world does. But if you want to just be ridiculous and be different from the world, and just go crazy spiritual, start praying together with my wife. Start praying together with your husband. Boyfriend and girlfriend, you start praying together. If you're single, you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you just start praying, God, I'm always going to seek you as you prepare for me for my two. Bible says in Matthew 6.33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. We seek God first. If you're not married, seek God if you're one but preparing for your two. If you're married, make God your one with your spouse as your two. Nothing fishes a marriage. Nothing fishes a marriage better than making God number one and putting a spouse or your future spouse number two. Here's what I want to do. I want to challenge all of us here to have a time of prayer. We're not having a worship band today as we close. I've invited Chris to just play us in, a, in, a, in keys quietly on the piano. I want to invite couples. I want to invite singles. You might be dating. You might not be dating. I want to invite all of us. Maybe you can't come and get on your knees before God. Maybe you say, God, that's hard on my knees, but I can do it where I'm at in my chair. And I want to pray with my husband, you know, or with my wife. But maybe some of you say, man, I want to make a commitment before God, before my family and friends and my church family. I want to make our marriage work. And we're going to begin with the keystone habit of praying together. And so, I'm going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to pray and ask God to bless this next few minutes. After I say amen, my wife and I, we're going to come here and we're going to start praying first. We're going to lead the way. This message was for you. This message was just for me as well. We've got to get better. I've got to get better doing this with my wife. And so, I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to invite others to join us. And then at the end of the prayer time, I'll come up and do a closing prayer for all of us. And then time is going to close out the prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. God, I pray that we will humble ourselves and seek your face. To seek you and make you our one. And make our spouse or our future spouse as our two. God, we're going to trust you to help us in our marriage. God, I pray that we will apply a keystone habit of praying, praying together on a consistent daily basis. Different ways we can do it, God, but God, I know that you will help us, you will enable us, you will resource us. You will give us the strength and the boldness to do it. For some of us to feel a little awkward, God, I pray we would just get over our awkwardness and just start. 
just do it. And so God, we ask you to bless this next few minutes. As many of us will take your word as the blueprint for success in our fiscal upper marriage. In your name I pray. Amen.